so these texts from Acts, and, and you come to the story of Stephen, and uh, man, this has been a tough one for me this week. Like, how do you preach about a martyr? Um, and so this is kind of where I began um, this week, is I wanted to kind of tie in with the idea that, man, we're a church, and we're, we have a mission field, and we have th- these things we're supposed to do. And that was what I grew up hearing, was the world is our responsibility, and um, we had missionaries coming in, telling stories. Um, there were challenges for evangelism and programs and special weekends and revivals and all the rest of this. And it was all designed to remind me of my responsibility to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And this was what I grew up with in, in church. And it was, man, you got to get out there and share, share, share. Um, and so... You know, eventually you just kind of get a little weary of that, I think. Um, I went to college, Bible college, and they would have this, they have a slogan every year. And the slogan was supposed to encourage us to, you know, pursue our, our life with God or some facet. And one year it was called. It was this big sign behind the pulpit that said called. And we said, I want that. And so we stole that banner at the end of the year. And we held on to that banner all summer. And we decided we must do something with this banner. So the next fall, we got back to school. I mean, this, this was some forethought. This was some dedication. I'm proud of myself for this moment in my life. <laughs> we came back that fall, and we had this banner that we had held on to. And um, the chapel at my school had just this wicked, steep roof. And so with the kind of recklessness that I guess only 20-year-old dudes have, um, well, probably not only, but definitely they had it. Um, and so we took, in the middle of the night, we had taken a nice, well, not a nice, it was a bed liner, and spray-painted another message to go next to the glorious banner that we had stolen. And then we get up on the roof with extension ladders, and we got as high up on that sucker as you could get. And we changed the message the next morning there for everyone to see was this bedliner that said, your mom called. And man, it was there for like two weeks. They couldn't get it down. It was great. And, um, and I don't know. I mean, some of the, all of the, this is kind of what happens when, when we're just like, you ought to do this. You've got to do this. There's the world, the world, the world. And go and share. And yes, we're, there's a truth in this. But... The, the story of Stephen actually has kind of saved me this week and pointed me in a different direction to look at this. Um, when you turn the good news of what Jesus has done into an advertisement, stuff gets lost and people get cynical and they do stuff like your mom called with it. Um, <laughs> and, and Stephen, you look at him, he didn't, have, he didn't learn like a presentation of the gospel. I mean, it was not a slogan to him. It was something that had changed his life. And so I have this thought, you know, that here we've been talking about the big C church, the actual spiritual church, the people of God throughout all ages. I mean, there's no, these people aren't hypocrites. These are the people, man, they're, they're in the kingdom through, throughout all history and all time and all places. The big C church, the actual people of God and we're the little C church trying to live this out in our local community. And as we're trying to do that, I imagine we're going to be one day in that big C church. And we're going to be rubbing shoulders with martyrs and people who would, they've, they've laid it all on the line. And I think we're going to find 
that while their sacrifice might have been extraordinary in that moment, they're very ordinary Christians. But it was this this thing where I, I want to reframe missions as this thing that we're supposed to do. And instead tonight, I want to just talk about a collision that I think is supposed to happen. And that is that we're supposed to be these people who we carry around the good news and we're living our lives here in the world. And this collision happens. And sometimes it happens like with what happened with Stephen. And it's a very intense thing. But other times it's, it's just simple. Sometimes it's a glorious transformation that happens. Our little C church, I mean, we are supposed to be people who we don't just gather in this little room and just be like, yeah, let's curse the darkness. We're supposed to be engaged in our communities. We're supposed to be, you know, knowing our neighbors and and bringing the light and hope that we have encountered in Christ in ways that real people can engage with. And sometimes that collision is going to go well. People are going to, oh man, I needed that. And sometimes it's not. It's just not. And that's the reality. So let's look at this story tonight of, of the first martyr, um, Stephen. I mean, what a title. You're the first martyr. You know, I wonder if you got a badge when, as he came through the gates. Like, you're the first, and there's going to be many more to come. But he comes through, and, and we don't know a lot about when Stephen first collided with Jesus. The scripture is silent about it. But it's possible, and maybe even likely, that Stephen had heard Jesus himself. I mean, he was around at the time, and uh, he certainly knew firsthand eyewitnesses as well as himself. He was hanging out with the apostles. And Stephen's integrity, and somehow he had this evidence of being filled with the Spirit. The early church, they recognized him, and they said, you'll be one of the first deacons. And so there were these first seven deacons, and Stephen, he served in the church of Jerusalem. And his job in that was to make sure that um, the, the food was distributed fairly to the widows and that uh, there wasn't any favoritism going on. And that was Stephen's, one of his primary roles as a deacon, right? And that was so that the apostles, they could really continue to focus on the word of God and on prayer. And Stephen, they were, they were trying to make, you know, the church make sure these things were happening. It was some organization that started to enter into the church. But Stephen and the other deacon, Philip, they were known not just for serving at tables. These guys also were powerful preachers. And they went around. And it says in Acts 6, 8, it says, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the peoples. So Stephen was also being used to do miracles. So he carries the good news of Jesus around Jerusalem. And he's doing, you know, his deaconing thing. He's deking or whatever. I don't know how you say it. Would turn that into a verb. Um, and so he's going around Jerusalem, and the collision was getting intense. There's this zealous group of the Jews that we're told about in Acts 8. They're called the synagogue of the freedmen. And these guys did not like Stephen's message, and they began to take issue with him. They, um, they start to accuse him of blasphemy. They haul him before the Jewish council. And they arranged for false witnesses to come and, and to say things about Stephen, that he, he's blasphemed, he's, he's spoken against our temple, and he says, you know, Jesus is going to tear down the temple. And, and he, they, they were afraid that it was going to change the traditions of Moses, which they definitely was going to challenge. And so in the heat of this trial, it says that 
they all are, are fired up. And before Stephen speaks, they look at Stephen, and this is the description. It says, his face was like the face of an angel. I have no idea what that means. I looked at commentaries, and some people are like, well, it was like Moses, you know, he was transformed, or Jesus in the transfiguration. And it could be, but we really don't know. We don't know what this means, but something about his demeanor, people were like, whoa, that's not the typical man on trial. There was something there that stuck in the observers' minds, the eyewitnesses, that God had his hand on Stephen's life in this moment. There was evidence that God was there. So after all these eyewitnesses speak, then Stephen is invited to speak and to address the council. And he stands up and he gives this amazing sermon. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't even answer their charges. He begins to preach. And it is the longest sermon in the book of Acts is what we have um, with Stephen's speech. I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, thankfully, but I encourage you read it. It's, it's an amazing way how he just outlines and goes through the history of Israel, beginning with Abraham. And he starts going with Abraham, and then he start, he, from Abraham he jumps on to Joseph, and he says, Joseph was rejected by his brothers. And then he goes, starts going through uh, David and all, the, all through all the prophets and how you guys reject everything God sends. And it just starts to build, and it comes to this climax. And this is the climax of his sermon. He says, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the, wilderness, in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David, who found favor in the sight of God, and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses, right? He's in the temple, and he starts to say this. The Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make these things? You stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by the angels and did not keep it. He was not trying to make friends here. Stephen was just confronting it, and he says, you know, this temple, this isn't what it's about. You're missing the point, and you always do this. Our, and he was one of them. He was saying, we always do this, guys. We keep missing what God is doing. It's a different kind of collision, right? I think when we go out and we try to engage our culture, I do this. I want people to know how nice Jesus is. I want them to know he's relevant, that he can, he can understand. Jesus is cool. Jesus is this or that. That was not Stephen's concern. He delivers an indictment against these people. And he spoke the truth boldly and clearly. And he knew what it was going to cost him. 
Because this was the same council that maybe a year or so, sometime before, they had executed Jesus. This is the same council. And so um, this is what happens next. At that point, after he says those words, this is the message. It says, at that point, they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God on whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. He said, oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in full stampede, they dragged him out of town, pelted him with rocks. The ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man, Saul, to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master, Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words. Then he died. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. Saul was right there, congratulating the killers. My guess is that Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, he's one of Luke's sources for this story, don't you think? Because they were traveling companions. This event had a huge impact on Paul. Um, When I, I said this last week, that the book of Acts, to me, was always held up as kind of this, um, hey, look how great the early church was and all these cool things that happened, miracles, and we need to get back to this, and this is what we're supposed to be like. And as I read through it during this season, that is not the book of Acts. This is a very sober account of what was going on. It wasn't spin. It doesn't come off as spin. It's just, hey man, this is the life that was being lived, and it's extraordinary. And Saul when he witnessed this, this sermon stuck in his mind and Stephen's, uh, his, his boldness, his courage, it had a huge impact. Some people like, the, it's called the Acts of the Apostles or some people want to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's so prevalent throughout the book of Acts. But I think you could also call it the collision. You could call Acts the collision that happened as God's people they began to move out in the power of the Holy Spirit with this good news. And they engaged with cities and different cultures. And as this happened, we have the account. That's what this book is. This, this event where Stephen is martyred and he is pelted with rocks to death is horrible. But what happens is um, it begins to plant the seed in Saul's life. And more than that, it begins to move the church out because they had kind of huddled. They were there in Jerusalem saying, oh yeah, we're going to be a nice Jewish sect. We're going we're to focus on the Jews. And this thing happens to Stephen and Saul and others start to move out against the church. They scatter and they just preach wherever they go. And the word of God goes. And so in Acts 1, it says, that set off a terrific persecution of the church in Jerusalem. The believers were all scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, all that is but the apostles. Good and brave men buried Stephen, giving him a solemn solemn funeral. Not many dry eyes that day. And Saul just went wild. 
devastating the church, entering house after house, dragging men and women off to jail, forced to leave home base. The followers of Jesus all became missionaries. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the message about Jesus. This was not a program. (laughs) Hey, come to our missions convention and we're going to fire you up about some great stories and let you touch some snake skin from the Amazon and, you know, tell you this story and that story. This was just the life that was moving out. God's spirit was propelling people across the face of the earth. And it wasn't, hey, here's all these tools. They didn't even have Bibles yet. They were living the Bible. It hadn't been written yet. And they begin to share the message as they go. Maybe you've heard this quote um, from Tertullian. He was an early church father. And this is, this is what it says. It says, uh, he, later on in the history of Rome, the, the, the Christians are persecuted still. And uh, he's an African writer and theologian. He says, he, he writes to the Romans. He says, you will stand higher with the people if you sacrifice us, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust as they demand. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent. And that is why God allows us to suffer. The more we are mown down by you, the more we grow. The blood of Christians is seed. This is going to be our new missions program for Crossover Church. Would anyone like to sign up to become a martyr? You first. <laughs> yeah, I'll be. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the sobering stuff, right? Yeah, follow me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> seriously, we've, most of us have been in this for a long time. How do we spread the good news of Jesus? How do we share God's love with the world around us? The answers we keep coming up with, which are not working, is, man, we need slick marketing. We just need to make this thing simpler for people to understand. We need to make it you know, more accessible or something. Um, or we try to come up with some other clever strategy. We, we have all these things that we keep trying, but this is the thing that really works laying our lives down. This is what it always comes down to over and over and over again. And I don't like it either. (laughs) It doesn't make me excited. Like, yeah, let's just try to raise some money and do something cool. Let's not do this. Because that is really intense. Um, Stephen delivered his message and he's murdered in the collision and people are transformed by his example now Stephen was not a person I would say who was just saying yeah I, I'm, I just want to die he wasn't suicidal he wasn't crazy Jesus was not crazy when he went to the cross he did not relish the idea of suffering remember Lord if this can happen another way take this cup from me but there was something greater that they were pursuing. And this collision happened, and their lives were taken. Martyrs are ordinary Christians, not super-Christians, whose lives are taken in the collision with the world. And for us as Americans, with all of our cultural tolerance and everything else, it's pretty unlikely, I think, 
that we'll be martyred for our faith in this day. I guess it could happen. We hear occasional stories. We know it's happening around the world, and maybe that time will come for us, which, does anybody want that? You know, none of us really are like, yeah, let that happen. But here's the reality, is that when we came into our faith, the normal thing is for us to be baptized, is it not? And baptism is an early funeral. That's what it is. It is we are buried in Christ and risen into new life with him. We've already been buried. Our lives are his. Now we do that and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to live that out, right? Um, like I'm very aware of how alive my flesh still is. I'm very aware of how much I cling to this life and I am trying to live out my baptism by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is the part of the sermon where I come to you and I say, let's all lay our lives down again tonight. We're going to have the altar call. And um, everyone, let's get really serious and stop playing around and lay our lives down and turn our eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will all grow strangely dim. And Yes, it's a glorious moment. But here's what I want us to, to, to look at, because we are called to move out, and this collision is going to happen. Sometimes good, sometimes not. But where does the courage come from for us to do this, and the motivation, and the love? Where does that really come from? We are a little C church, and we're experiencing the same collision as the big C church. And so here, here's some thoughts about following Stephen's example, all right? Three points, because that's how you're supposed to do it in a sermon. At the end. Yeah, it's like the Trinity. Yeah, it must be God. <laughs> so here's the first thing. Um, if we're going to collide with the world, I, I, I pray this helps us. It's that we need a focused direction. Like Stephen did not wake up just that day and say, today is my super Christian day, and I will go and be a martyr, Right? Stephen had been walking in this direction with Christ for years, for a good long time. He was probably regular in his prayer. He served faithfully, we know from Scripture. He preached consistently. And so on this day, when he is brought to trial, he didn't have to summon something up. He had to be Stephen, walking with Jesus. This was the direction of his life. And he just kept walking. Eugene Peterson talks about um, a long obedience in the same direction. And that's how he describes the Christian life, which is pretty good. Um, if, if missions and prayer and all the rest of the things in our Christian life, if they're not just add-ons, but they're about um, walking in this direction towards God. And I'm just going to keep doing that. And I find myself over here, but I'm going to come back. And get in that direction. That's the life of repentance, you know. But we're always moving in this direction. He kept his life focused in the direction of Jesus. And so all these other things that he did, they weren't a program that like, hey, I think I need to add a little bit of this to my Christian life, so I'll do this thing for a season. I need to get stronger in this area, so I'll shore this up. It was all... I'm walking in this direction. And God brought those things to him. 
And when the fury of the council is just starting to build towards him, did you notice this? he gets a vision? He gets a vision. And he sees all the way through where his direction is headed. I mean, it's like God gives him this gift. It says, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, I mean, everyone, all this stuff's going on. People are hissing, all that stuff. And he says, look, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He has a vision right there. The direction of his life is rewarded with that. And then in a matter of a few minutes, that wouldn't be a vision. He would be there. That vision was given, yeah, I think Stephen, he would have made it through the martyrdom without it, but it was given for the rest, probably especially for Saul to hear that. Wow, he is seeing the direction of his life. We need to have just this focused direction. We, it's not something where tomorrow we need to just really work up our courage. We need to keep doing the little things. Prayer serve, worship together, encourage each other, try to find ways to share with people all around us. Let's just be moving in that direction consistently in little ways. And then as the collision happens, let it happen. See what may come. The second thing is this, is that confidence. Uh, Stephen, he has this confidence and his confidence is not like because he's just, man, I just, I just keep my, my mind right here all the time. Um, it reveals this. His confidence is that God is holding on to him. The Holy Spirit had been work, working in Stephen, brought him to this point. But, and this was not a moment that it was like some kind of pickle that Stephen found himself in where God was like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. You know, um, I think he was going... This collision is going to happen in Jerusalem. The Lord saw and he knew and he was preparing the church for these, these things to happen. Um, maybe you've heard this that, you know, I, I was told so much, you know, hold on to God, you know, keep the faith. Those kinds of ideas, you know, were told me over and over again. And what I've discovered over and over again is that God has a hold of me. And it's a better hold than, than me, than me holding on to him. I get tired. I get discouraged. I get fed up and afraid. And God has his hand on me. And that's what Stephen sees in this moment as he sees into heaven. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But he sees God. God is, God is like, I've got you, Stephen. I'm in this moment. And we can have that same confidence. Like today, as you're trying to walk in this same direction, God is not passively sitting in heaven saying, hmm, let's see how you do. He is cheering for you. He is at work by his Holy Spirit to send you resources and encouragements. We see this, right? God, God's hand is reaching and trying to hold us up. And we need to be aware all right, Lord, I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust, I'm going to have confidence that you're actively working here.
And the last thing I think that's so powerful in this is dignity. Stephen's dignity and the dignity that God shows through Stephen to everyone else. Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere else in scripture, Jesus is sitting down at the right hand of God. But when Stephen sees him, he's standing. And so most commentators, they interpret it like this. F.F. Bruce says, um, Luke intends Jesus is standing as a witness or an advocate in Stephen's defense. It's like Jesus is watching this trial go on. And as he, Stephen sees into heaven, Jesus is at his feet saying, uh-uh, that's not true. That's not what is happening. Stephen, I'm on your side. And he is witnessing against these false witnesses. He is showing this dignity. And you have that, ever, ever have that image that, you know, maybe God is not so aloof in our prayers. Just like, what do you want now, Ron? Sheesh. You know? Again. <laughs> you know, Peter. We've had this conversation. I'm sick of you. What if Jesus is... I had a Sunday school teacher who used to describe it this way. Jesus is on the edge of his seat saying, bring it. Tell me. What's on your heart? What is the thing that you want to ask? What, I mean, what if God is actively wanting to engage with the Father for us and intercede, that's the picture we get with Stephen, is Jesus standing there. And I I don't think it's just for the martyrs at that moment. This is the heart of God that we're we're seeing to encourage us. Um, And then the last thing is Stephen's, the dignity that he shows to the men around him. This is a violent lot of people. People gnashing their teeth. Can you imagine? Have you ever been in a place like that where people are, ah, I mean, I've done that some in my sleep, but usually not when other people can deal it. You know, they are angry and they are hissing. They are making noise and they are ready to commit murder. And they do it. And as they were stoning Stephen, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And like Marla said, <laughs> where have we heard this before? Actually, both of these statements are things that Jesus said as he went to the cross. Jesus said in his trial, you will look and see the Son of Man at the right hand. And Stephen says, I see it right now. And then Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them. And Stephen, as rocks are raining down upon him, Father, don't hold this against them. They still don't get it. He's interceding for them. This dignity of forgiveness being extended to people. This is a different way of looking at evangelism, isn't it? Of looking at missions. Like, hey, man, we're going to go out there and inform those ignorant pagans about some stuff they don't know, and we're going to show them, you know, what people ought to know to be civilized. This is, Father, forgive them. I mean, this was a collision that happened. These people did know the scriptures, all these things, and they still rejected what Jesus had done. And Stephen was not self-righteous. He just said, Lord, you know. 
how that must have affected Saul in this picture. Um, I think I, this is Rembrandt. Yeah. And um, all these portrayals of Stephen's martyrdom, they always show Saul there with the coats. He's watching. He's giving his approval for what's going on as these people come and they've stripped down so they can carry out this murder. <clears throat> and how this impacted them. The dignity that Stephen had because his eyes were on Christ. And so tonight, I just want us to end out with this. Um, let's, let's not try to be martyrs because that's really depressing. But let's move in this direction of setting our eyes on Christ in the little things. And let's do expect a collision. Let's do expect that sometimes people are going to greet that message and they're going to say, yeah, I believe that. I receive it. Sometimes they're not. They're going to violently push it away. In our city, I think most people are passionately disinterested in the message of Christ for whatever reason. And we, we just need to be ready for that collision. That's not about us. I mean, hopefully, if we're just if we're showing dignity and all the rest of that. And in that, we can also look, you may plant a seed as that collision happens. That right at that moment, Saul was saying, yeah, take him out. And years later, Saul's going to write, I'm the least believer. I'm the worst sinner. And Christ loved me because I persecuted his people. And he forgave even me. This planted something in his heart. He experienced forgiveness first from Stephen before he did from Jesus. Stephen said, forgive him. And then he would experience that later through Christ himself. So let's, let's have that courage to, um, to just continue walking. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, you are good, and thank you for this example that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the reality of it being the fruit of a life set towards you. And I pray for my friends here tonight, that, Lord, you would help each of us to fix our eyes on you to have confidence that your hand is upon us and that you're not letting go. And Lord, that we don't have to sell people as we try to engage them with the gospel. We can have this dignity that Stephen had for those around us. We can offer forgiveness. We can show the love of Christ and we can follow in your example. Thank you, Lord, for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.